So our scripture reading this morning is from 1 Samuel chapter 17. I am only going to read the the last part of this story. This is that famous story of David and Goliath, but I'm going to start reading at verse 41, just verse 41, and read down through verse 51. Meanwhile, the Philistine, with his shield-bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. David said to the Philistine, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel." All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and He will give you into our hands. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and his face fell down on the ground. Or he fell fell face down. On the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. David ran and stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine's sword and drew it from the sheath, and he killed him. He cut off his head with the sword. When the Philistines saw their hero was dead, they turned and ran. This is the word of the Lord. We know that we're supposed to say that, right? We know that, don't we? So let's try again. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. I mean, honestly, it's the most useful thing ever, so we should be thankful for it. All right, we're back in this little series called Every Story Whispers His Name. We're looking at how the Bible in the Old Testament points to Jesus and how in the New Testament it points back to Jesus. And we are in this most famous of stories, the story of David and Goliath. The giant versus the shepherd. The underdog versus the favorite. Of all the stories in the Bible, this one might be the most well-known. It has, it has sunk its way, actually, into our culture in the sense that people, uh, even if they don't know the story, they know the concept at work here. They know that it is about an underdog overcoming a heavy favorite. And we love those stories, don't we? I mean, some of our best Favorite movies are about that kind of thing, Uh, underdogs overcoming heavy favorites. And so we say about things like when the Raptors won the championship, you know, we said that it was a David and Goliath story, right? Because the underdogs were obviously the Toronto Raptors and the heavy favorites obviously were the Golden State Warriors. That's who they beat, right? Okay, I'm just making sure. All of a sudden I had a little panic attack, like, I don't know this stuff very well. Anyhow, now... 
this story has tons and tons and tons of lessons in it. One of them is the, the, the underdog versus the favorite. Um, we're going to clear away the clutter and look at kind of the fundamental lesson of this story. Uh, and we're going to look at it from the lens of this series that we have been working on, this series of understanding how every part of the Bible points to the person of Jesus Christ. And so we're going to talk about heroes this morning. This story is all about heroes. It's about a failed hero, a false hero, and a faithful hero. And of course, we all know, I'm laying my cards on the table, Jesus is the ultimate faithful hero. That's where we're going to go at the end of this. Um, But I hope you'll join me for the whole journey and not just hop on the train at the end. Here we go. Let's look at this story, what it teaches us about heroes. First of all, the failed hero. Israel The Philistines, they line up for war. The Philistines are a marauding nation of pirates, kind of thing, who trouble the people of Israel constantly, okay? And they are at it again, and they line up on opposite sides of a valley where they're going to do battle, and out comes this character, Goliath. And Goliath, of course, is huge. Uh, Some manuscripts indicate that he's close to 10 feet tall. There are others that say he might be closer actually to 7 feet tall. But the point is, the guy is massive. And I really want to... He's big. He's really big. (laughs) Brian just walked by, who's a pretty big dude. And I can't help but be like, like that! Right? Um, (laughs) Sorry, Brian. (laughs) The timing, though. What can I say? the timing. He is a complete beast. And and the point is, is that he's way, way bigger than the average man. At that time, a man would, on average, would would grow to be about five and a half feet tall. So he is way, 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 way bigger than your average bear, okay? He wears armor that weighs around 125 pounds. And he has all these weapons. Uh, He has a javelin, he has a huge broadsword, and he has a spear. And what's interesting about the spear, Samuel, or uh, the author tells us, is that it was, it was really, really long. It was probably close to 15 feet long. And on the end of it, it had an iron tip. And that iron tip weighed as much as, and in fact, even a little more than, a typical um, shot put ball. So it weighed about 20 pounds. So this thing is huge because this guy is huge. And the picture we're in, by the way, it was iron. It was made of iron, which the Israelites didn't have access to yet. They were still stuck in the Bronze Age. So it was a, a technological advancement that the Israelites were not, um, didn't have access to. So the picture you get is basically picture the Hulk from the Marvel movies and Iron Man from the Marvel movies and put them together. That's what you get here. He's, got, he's technologically advanced, and he is a big, burly, nasty dude. It calls him a champion at the beginning of the chapter, and that meant that he, we don't know exactly how many, but he had to have a certain number of kills per year in war in order to be given that designation of champion. And, um, and even though we don't know the number, we know that he obviously was very skilled at killing because he was called a champion. And he was mean, right? He was mean. He meets David out on the field and he says, you know what? I'm going to feed you to the birds, right? I'm going to rip you to shreds and I'm going to feed your body to the birds. So he knew how to talk smack as well, apparently. 
He taunted the Israelites for 40 days. Every day he came out and he insulted them and called them wimps and all that kind of stuff. And, and, and he insulted their God as well. And verse 11, we discover how the Israelites responded. They responded this way. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Goliath terrified them. Now, don't be too hard on the Israelites. There was every reason to be terrified of Goliath because he was such a formidable character. But at the same time, the Israelites weren't supposed to be afraid because God had promised them that he would deliver them from the nations and he would drive out these enemies like the Philistines, right? And in fact, God actually had Saul made king in part for that reason, Saul was made king for the purpose of driving out these Philistines and defeating them. But it's interesting, in verse 11, it says not just that the Israelites were dismayed and terrified, but that Saul was dismayed and terrified as well. In other words, their king, their hero, their champion was scared out of his wits just like them. He was not acting very kingly. He was paralyzed just like his people were. Saul, you see, is being set up here as a failed hero. And now, because he failed, all the people risked being enslaved by this people. So they had put their their hope in this failed hero, in this man, Saul, who had turned his back on God. We saw that last week, right? Saul had turned his back on God. He had decided that he didn't need to to do as God commanded and didn't need to live faithfully to God. And he was going to be his own man like the other kings of the nations. And so Saul stands in front of Goliath, which is his his adversary, his, his big problem that he needs to face. And he looks at Goliath and he looks at his resources. And because he doesn't have God, the only resources he has are his own skills and abilities, etc. And just like the rest of the Israelites, he's terrified. And we're actually not all that different from the Is- Israelites, you know. I mean, we don't fear enslavement of a foreign nation, at least not at this point, right? But we, we, we are fearful people too. There's a lot of fear out there. I was just talking to, to someone who, uh, before church who works in the counseling uh, kind of world and was telling me that there's a lot of anxiety out there. There are people coming to them dealing with fears and anxieties constantly. And here's the thing. If you're a Christian, if you say you're a Christian, all right, I can, all I can do is believe that you believe. You say you're a Christian, that means you believe that Jesus lived the life you should have lived and died the death that you should have died. You need to understand that the most repeated command in the Bible given to you is, do not be afraid. I know it's not in the Ten Commandments, but that doesn't mean it's not a command. If you're a Christian, the Bible says, do not be afraid. Why does the Bible say, do not be afraid? Well, because God says, I am with you. The creator of the universe says, I will never leave you or forsake you. Jesus says, you will have trouble in this world, but do not, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And yet, you're still scared. You're still afraid. You fear failure, you fear illness, you feel fear financial restraint or uh, collapse, you fear um, coronavirus. You fear election results. You fear socializing in big groups. 
You fear trying new things. You fear mice. You fear bugs. You fear zombies. You fear the dentist. Human beings are fearful people. We live in constant fear. The truth is that we are actually cowards. Despite all these promises of God, we're fearful. Why? Well, these problems look huge to us, many of them, certainly. But really the problem is, is that we look to the wrong things for our security. And when those things fail us, and they always do, our fear gets multiplied. Well, what are those things that we look to? I'm glad you asked. Goliath is a great picture of those things, in a sense. He is a picture of a false hero. So this is point two, the false hero that Goliath is. Now, scholars say that Goliath, who he is, is detailed uh, or is, is described in great detail in this story. And that's kind of unique because in Hebrew literature, it's all about being really concise and being really spare. And you get all this long detail about Goliath. And the reason is, is because Goliath is not being just presented as an, a threat in this story. He's actually being presented as a type of hero. We have the failed hero that is Saul. And now we have the false hero that is Goliath. In verse 4, Again, it says that he is a champion. He is the hero of the Philistines. And there are things about him that make him the hero of the Philistines. First of all, and I've already explained some of this, so we don't have to take long. First of all, he has the latest technology. He is a man of iron, which the Israelites didn't have. Uh, He also had a tremendous amount of uh, firepower with his javelin and with his spear and with his sword. And it's interesting, we are people who put a lot of trust in technology today as well. All week long, we've been hearing stories about the virus, and it's spreading, and it's going further, and it's causing more trouble. And what, what do doctors, what do public health officials, what do politicians even say is going to save us from this pandemic? Science, right? Right? Science is the greatest hope that we have in beating this virus. We hear it all the time. We have a lot of faith in science. And of course, science has its role to play. But have you noticed that science can't solve some of the fundamental problems with this virus and this pandemic? What's one of our big problems right now? People are not taking the virus seriously enough when they get together in groups. And so the virus is spreading at you know, gatherings in homes or at backyard parties or on university campuses or these kinds of places where people are not taking the virus seriously and therefore it's spreading around. Well, science can't do anything about that. Science can't do anything about the moral obligation in the social contract that you and I have with one another where we need to be careful, not just for our own sake, but for the sake of each other. Science can't do anything about that. It's still spreading. So he's highly technologically advanced, and we put a lot of faith in that. Second of all, he's got strength and skill, and we see that. I've already mentioned that as well. Being called the champion demonstrates that he was very good at what he does, Uh, and he had, you know, he's like kind of this Andre the Giant figure. He's got many, many kills. He's, He's an expert at his job, and his job is to kill other people. And we put a lot of faith in experts, too. We trust specialists 
We believe that, that when a person has the, the, the right education and the right qualifications and the right skill set and you put those things together, they're, they're the kind of people that we want to put our trust in. But the most important thing that, that Goliath, seems to, Goliath seems to have is confidence. Goliath has a lot of confidence. He does not suffer from low self-esteem. He comes out there with all kinds of bravado and swagger. You know, he's this tough guy. And he's not like, like, like most of us who don't have a lot of self-confidence. And so what we do is we pretend we have a lot of self-confidence. We kind of put on the swagger and put on this air of confidence and high self-esteem. He doesn't have any of that. He's actually really, really confident in himself. He knows how to talk smack and he loves to do it. Look at verses 42 through 44. He says this. This is verse 42. Uh, in verse 42 to 44, it says this. Goliath looked David over and saw he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. Now, despised in this moment is not, I hate that guy. It's, it's more despised as like, this thing's a joke. Like, looking down on scornfully. So he despised him. He said to David, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? Sorry, I talk like that a little bit because I've seen this VeggieTales episode many, many times. Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and wild animals. He's got tons of confidence and swagger. In, in fact, in verse 41, it says this. It says... The Philistine, with his shield-bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. So David's over there, and Goliath is coming towards him. And he's got his shield-bearer, which is probably, it was probably a kid about David's size, whose job it was, was to hold the big champion's shield for him until they reached the place of battle, and then you give him the shield and you back off. Goliath is so confident that he has nothing to fear with this puny little scrawny kid, David, that he says, come on, shield bearer, and he's, he's talking smack and he's having it out with, with David as he steps forward, and he never even feels the need to grab his shield and get ready for battle. He's thinking to himself, I got a puny little kid with his puny little staff and his cute little bag of pebbles and his little sling. There's no hint of doubt in his mind at all. When I was a kid, I used to watch WWF. I think it's called WWE now. It's professional wrestling. And I had to, I admit, I had to kind of sneak it because my mom didn't like it at all. And um, <clears throat> what, I, what I loved about it was it was two Goliaths going at it. So at first, when they first got in the ring, they'd go close together, toe-to-toe. -to -toe. These beasts, you know, they're all, you know, hepped up on whatever and they're really big and strong and, and they would spew these insults at each other and they'd get into, into each other's faces and then they'd back off and then when the bell rang they would come out and they would wail on each other and I absolutely loved it. As a 12-year-old kid, I thought it was awesome. And today, it's far more realistic because it's not acting. I mean, I didn't care that it was acting back then but I, I, I now care that it was acting. Um, Today we have UFC, which is apparently, as far as I understand, still the fastest growing sport in North America. Young men particularly flock to watch UFC, which is basically two guys get into a ring and they wail on each other. 
And what that shows, I believe, and I suspect is, is that there is something about the machismo. There is something about the tough guy, the manly guy, the guy who takes no guff, this kind of hero that resonates with us. Many, many of us want that kind of hero, and we want to actually be that kind of hero. But what happens to Goliath? All that confidence, all that arrogance, all that self-assurance, you know, it actually works against him. Even his tech, his high tech that has him so confident because he's decked out in the latest armor and he's got the latest weaponry, it all creates a false sense of security, you see. And he underestimates the threat he faces. And so David comes up, this puny little kid, and he thinks, I'm going to eat that kid for breakfast. He is so out of touch with reality, he doesn't actually realize the size of the threat until it's too late. He is a picture of what the Proverbs teach us. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before the fall. And contrast that with David. We have the, f- the failed hero, we have the false hero, and now we have the faithful hero. Now, David shows great courage, yes, but I want to caution you in something. You should not read this story and think to yourself, I should be like David. I've got big challenges in my life, Goliaths, and I just need to face them with confidence like David. We already know you're not like David. That's the problem. If you're supposed to place yourself in this story somewhere, you know where you place yourself? You place yourself in the ranks of the army of Israel. You are cowardly. And think about this. You've got you to gotta try to picture it in your mind. For 40 days, this big monster of a dude has been coming out and has been making fun of you and calling you names and making fun of your God and calling your God names. And increasingly, two things are happening. One, you're getting angrier, but the, on the other hand, you're getting more and more scared. Because for 40 days, nobody has stepped up and said, I'll take the guy on. And then you finally hear rumblings, maybe on day 38 or something like that. You hear, oh, no, apparently there's a guy who's going to go out and get him. There's a guy who's going to take him on. Oh, good. Who is this guy? Oh, I hear he's David. He's, he's, he's connected with Eliab and, and Jesse's sons. And, and, and you think to yourself, okay, well, that's pretty good. That's exciting. And then when you look to the field of battle, there you are up on the hill. And, and, and you look down into the valley and you see this kid. Okay, when I was 15, 16 years old, that's probably around the age that David was at this time, I was 135 pounds soaking wet. Picture that. Everybody picture me, 130. Oh, to be 135 pounds. Um, This kid walks out. And he has no armor on him. Nothing. He's just got this little bag with him and he's got his shepherd staff with him and he's in his sandals and he's running out there to do battle with Goliath. How are you feeling? Are you feeling confident? Are you thinking to yourself, all right, finally somebody's going to give it to him and those Philistines are going to eat it and now they are going to obey us and they are going to be our slaves and we are going to uh, carry on in victory and in glory. Are you thinking to yourself, oh no, oh no, oh no, we're all about to become slaves? This is the worst thing that could have ever happened to us. And yet, David is their champion. He's not the champion that they were looking for. He's not the hero that they even wanted. But he's what they got. Just a quick pause. 
Some of you here don't believe in Jesus because he's not the hero you wanted. He's not the hero you're looking for. But he's the hero that you need. That's the point. He's the subversive hero, the unsung hero. He's the underdog hero. We're going to get more into that. But just for those of you who aren't Christians, will you please just consider the fact that the reason you don't believe in Jesus is because it's not that you just can't believe that Jesus is the Son of God. It's when you read him. It's when you uh, learn about him. It's when you study him. You think to yourself, that's how God was going to invade the world and save it? Like the Israelites, you thought to yourself, that can't be it, but it's, it's what they got. And David was their representative, you see. What happened to him would happen to them. If he wins, they win. If he loses, they lose. This is how God saves his people. He gives them a representative. He doesn't say to them, hey, you, don't be such a chicken. Don't be such a wuss. Don't be such a wimp. Look at your problems. Face those problems. Stiff upper lip. Get tough. He's not a high school football coach. He comes to you and he says, I know you're weak, I know you're scared, I know you're terrified, I know you can't do it, so I will provide the one who can for you. But he won't be what you expect. David wasn't like Hercules, he wasn't like Odysseus or Boltheus or, or King Arthur or any of the Marvel comic superheroes. He was weak, he was little, he was vulnerable, he was too small for Saul's armor, and yet, and yet, here's the thing. He was successful, not in spite of his weakness, but because of it. He looks like a joke. A joke. And he wins. How is that possible? Here's how. David had total, unwavering faith in the power of God to overcome his enemy. He's low tech, he's low skill, but he has high confidence, not in himself, but in God. Listen to what he says in verses 45 and following. You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, as if to say, nice missiles, Goliath. But I come at you, I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. This is not about me. This is not about my glory. This is about the whole world knowing that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves the weapons of humanity brute strength and power and ingenuity no for the battle is in the Lord's hands and he will give you into mine into our hands he had unwavering faith in God not in him now I already told you where we're going to end up, so let's get where we're going to end up. David is this subversive hero, right? He's not what they expected, but he was just what they needed. Well, centuries later, friends, a greater hero than David came into this world. And he didn't just save through his weakness, no. He saved because of his weakness. 
Because you see, the world, the flesh, and the devil all thought that if we can just nail him to the cross and be rid of him, we will have one victory. But in his dying, not just at the risk of his death, but at the, or the risk of his life, but at the cost of his life, Jesus Christ rescued us, not just from physical death, but from eternal death. Jesus is our representative. What happened to him happens to us. He did, the, the, he did battle with the greatest enemy of all, and he won. And so if you put your trust in him, you don't have to be brave. You don't have to be strong and courageous. You just have to look to Jesus. You know, in Hebrews chapter 11, they talk about the heroes of the faith. Abel, Noah, Abraham, David, Samson, Daniel, all these great figures of the Old Testament. You're like, man, those guys are tough and they were brave and they had so much courage. How could I ever have that courage? Well, you know what? After all that talk in Hebrews chapter 11, the author switches in Hebrews chapter 12 and he says, listen, there is a great cloud of witnesses there's all these historical figures who are watching you and who are cheering you on and saying, keep the faith, continue in the faith, face your giants, go ahead, face your troubles, go ahead, you can do it. But what the author says is, is don't be like them and don't look to them. He says, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. My, my life group, we're studying um, Colossians. And uh, we just started getting into it at our last meeting this week. And we're in Colossians chapter 1. And we got to this passage. Listen to this. The Son is the image of the invisible God. The Son, obviously, is Jesus. The image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything He might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all His fullness dwell in Him, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether things on earth or in heaven, by making peace through His blood on the cross. Now listen. If that's who you have your trust in, if that's your hero, what do you have to be afraid of? Really? What do you have to be afraid of? Yes, there are lots of things that it makes sense to be afraid of them. It made sense for Israel to be afraid of Goliath on one hand, but on the other hand, they had no reason to be afraid at all because they were in the hands of the Lord Almighty. And the same is true for you and me. But you've got to fix your eyes on them. You've got to fix your eyes on them. You've got to look at them. You've got to stop looking at the size of your, your troubles and start looking at the size of your Savior. And when, you can't, when your mouth, when your, sorry, when your, when your head says to you, when you start preaching to yourself or listening to yourself and your head says to you, you can't do it, you can't do it, you can't do it, stop trying to tell it, no, I can't, no, yes, I can, yes, I can, yes, I can. Stop doing that. You know what you should tell yourself? I know. I know I can't. But I 
don't have to. You know, out of all the religions in the world, we're the only religion that has a God who had to be courageous. Think of that. Jesus Christ in the garden. He had to be courageous. He prayed, Father, please don't, don't make me go to the cross. Let this cup pass from me. But, but if I have to, okay, your will be done, not my will. He's the only God who made himself vulnerable, who made himself weak so that he had to be courageous. And where did he look for his strength? To the same one you can look to and I can look to. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, teach us to fix our eyes on you, the author and perfecter of our faith, our or on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Teach us, Father, to remember that we have nothing to fear because of him and because of all he's done for us. Strengthen us to believe, to trust, and to walk in faith and courage and confidence because of all you have done for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.